AUS academic says the Biden administration's failure to fully engage with the Pacific during its first year is what has landed them in the transactional dilemma it's experiencing as it competes with China for influence in the region. Michael Walsh is an affiliate researcher at Georgetown University's Centre for Australian, New Zealand and Pacific Studies. He was also the chair of the Asia-Pacific Security Affairs Subcommittee on the Biden Defense Working Group during the 2020 U.S. presidential campaign. Reflecting on the past few years of U.S.-Pacific diplomacy under the Biden administration, Mr. Walsh told Koroi Hawkins not getting the jump on regional engagement early on was a lost opportunity. I think personally it hasn't lived up to what I had expected would happen, especially in the early days of the administration. I think when you look at the the first year, there wasn't the urgency to engage in the Pacific that I think that a lot of people felt there needed to be. Um, And I think that the Solomon Islands, as you know, the security pact with China and and all the things that happened there, I think that's what really motivated the administration to really engage. Um, And I think that was... That was potentially one of the the big shortcomings um, because a lot of time was lost. Uh, I think there was a there was an opportunity in the first couple months of the administration to really prioritize the Pacific and really engage the Pacific. And there was a lot of strategy talk on the campaign and then some pitches during the transition period to try to get the administration to make that a priority. Um, the administration didn't make it a priority. And I think that that time that was lost ended up, you know, really coming back to to bite the administration. But I think to give the administration credit, once the Solomon Island Security Pact happened, it did motivate them to take action and they did try to start engaging. You know, I think it's kind of this pattern of history that we have in the U.S. engagement in the Pacific. You know, we we do tend to have these periods where we intensely engage, um, but we don't always live up to our commitments or live up to the expectations that we set. And the PNG visit was obviously one of those, even though that was, you know, a lot of things happened that made that not possible. Um, but I think that the challenge for the U.S. is that, you know, especially when you talk about the U.S. Pacific territories and you talk about the freely associated states, you know, there's this, this expectation gap. Um, and, you know, there's this historical pattern of behavior and the administration has to figure out a way to overcome that. And so there was a lot of intense engagement, especially around the COFA negotiations. Um, But if you go back, I mean, we were talking in 2018 and 2019 about that needing to happen. Um, You know, they waited to the last minute. And that's not the Biden administration's fault. I mean, the Trump administration also had a lot of people telling them they needed to engage much more intensely. And so what's ended up happening, I think, is we've got stuck in this like transactional relationship dilemma. And when you have transactional relationships and you have another strategic competitor come in, they start bidding up the price for everything. Both sides are bidding up the price. And that's what we're seeing happening. And I think those enduring partnerships and those mutually beneficial relationships and all of those things we like to talk about and we like to put into words and discursive commentary, you know, we have to actually live up to that. And because that didn't happen in the first year of the administration and then China really started to compete, now we're stuck in this dilemma of, you know, how high do you want to go to uh, to be able to outcompete China? And you have to do that on each each single case. It's not something you do across the board. And Nauru is the latest example where a case came and people had to make a decision of, is it worth whatever it was, 100 million, 115 million, whatever it was, 
Is it worth that to outcompete China in that moment? Because you're playing a long game. And so, uh, so these decisions have to be made. One thing that um, the U.S. has come in for a lot of criticism on is um, the money that it's promised actually getting delivered or coming, I guess, passing through its systems to approval. What's your view on that process and what the U.S. is able to actually mobilize in terms of funding as opposed to China? Well, I think when you look back at funding and historically, I mean, look at the freely associated states. The U.S. has spent, you know, billions of dollars in the freely associated states. And so even when we did spend the money, you look at where they sit on the sustainable development goals rankings. You know, what was the performance for all that money that was spent? Uh, How did it help the average person living in the freely associated states? So I think you got to start with the whole question of what's the impact of the funding that has been delivered? And, you know, when we talk about delivering more funding, how do we make it so that it actually has more of a return on investment, not just for U.S. taxpayers, but for the local people that it's supposed to be supporting? Um, You know, I've worked in public health and other fields with the freely associated states, and I've seen the challenges they face in terms of capacity. Most people in Washington have no idea what type of challenges people face in the Pacific during something like a COVID pandemic. They think that money can solve it, but money can't solve it if you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have the capacity already in place. You have to have epidemiologists. You have to have all of these basic things. And so if you look at basic education, you look at electricity, internet, um, you look at water, you know, you look at public health, there's so many gaps. So I think you have to start with how do you make the money that has been delivered perform better? And then you have the other question about how do we deliver what's already been promised or at least what's been negotiated. And in the case of freely associated states, obviously, we're having this this issue within Congress about continuing to fund the the compacts that exist and trying to fund the the newly negotiated ones. Um, And I think that that was a foreseeable problem. I don't think anyone thought that this was not going to (laughs) happen. And so, I mean, it happened with Palau already. Um, and so, and especially in this Congress and how divided it is, and, you know, we, I think there's a, a reasonable expectation that we are going to be facing this challenge and we're facing this challenge. And so the freely associated funds, that's, that's one big issue, but then there's the other issue of this 800, you know, that they've talked about delivering through the, the summit. And so that discussion, you know, a lot of that was already allocated in in other programming and it was just you know aggregated together to be able to come up with a big number to show that the u.s is delivering um you know when we're talking about these these values we're talking about hundreds of millions in the case of freely freely associated states we're talking about billions so there's a big difference between what we're talking about delivering elsewhere in the pacific and uh and i think that's one of the big challenges is just how we conceptualize all of this and how we talk about it and how we distinguish between the monies that has been spent, the monies that are supposed to be spent, and how the money should be spent.